for the last two Sundays, as you know, we've been studying Paul's prayers that he prayed specifically for the church in Ephesus. We've been taking a look at his prison prayers uh, for, I think there's four letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote while under house arrest. And uh, those are the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And what's interesting about those letters, at least to me during this time, is that the circumstances so closely mirror what we're all experiencing. We're cut off and separated from our brothers and sisters in Christ that we care about. And that was true for Paul, too, during that time. He couldn't go to be with them. He couldn't just uh, seek them out and talk to them. So he wrote these letters from a distance, from a place of separation. And his prayers are really, have been really instructive to me during this time. They've really radically transformed how I've been praying for you, church family. And uh, my hope is that it would do that for all of us, just that we would, through the study of Paul's prison prayers, that our prayer life for, uh, would be transformed. The way we pray for one another's would be transformed. Next week, we're going to study another one of his prayers in the first chapter of Philippians. That's Philippians 1, 3 through 11. That's a great prayer. You can be looking ahead to that. Uh, but this morning, I was prompted, I, as I was reading through Ephesians, looking through uh, Paul's prayers, when I came to the very end of the book, Paul asked that they pray some things for him. And I thought, that's cool. Maybe I should look and see, um, collect, start collecting Paul's prayer requests, not just his prayers. And as I started digging around in his different letters, uh, Paul has a, a lot of different prayer requests that he puts in front of God's people to pray for him about. And as I uh, read those and thought about them, I thought it would be instructive, maybe helpful for us to take a morning and rather than studying one of Paul's prayers, to study his requests for prayer. Because he does this a lot. Uh, just as often as he uh, prays for God's people, he asks them to pray for him. And uh, so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, these are the very words of Paul. Paul wrote this in his letter to the Romans. He said, Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Uh, those are the words of Paul written again in the 15th chapter of Romans, urging his brothers and sisters in Christ to really partner with him in the work he was doing through a ministry of prayer. In the opening chapter of his second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul wrote, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So there again, Paul says, you must help us by prayer. And that by praying, uh, the Corinthians became partners with him in the work that he was doing. In 2 Thessalonians 3.2, Paul asked the believers in Thessalonica to, quote, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. 
to the Colossians, Paul wrote, "...continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak." Now, from this brief smattering of prayer requests, I think there are a few things we can draw out and apply as we pray for one another. The first observation I made as I was reading through Paul's prayer requests, the thing that this pioneer, tip-of-the-spear, missionary kind of guy was asking others to pray for him, is that prayer is warfare, Uh, Paul would conclude his letter to the church in Ephesus, which I mentioned earlier, at the tail end of his famous Armor of God passage in in Ephesians 6, by exhorting them, and here I'm in verse 18 of Ephesians 6, "...pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me." Here he transitions and asks them to pray for him. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Uh, Paul impresses me in in these verses. Uh, Mostly it's a great encouragement to me as somebody uh, who regularly teaches the Bible that Paul asks for, what he asks for here is amazing. Paul, who is this fearless missionary with a golden tongue, he always seems to have a fitting word for every person, circumstance, and scenario. But he asks that words would be given to him, and also that he would have the courage to say them. And that's very encouraging to me. It just shows me that Paul is not some superhuman character, but he's like me and you. Yeah, he doesn't, the words and the courage to say them don't come naturally to him all the time. He's completely dependent on God for those words that he has been given and for the courage to proclaim them. It's also impressive to me that he sums up this prayer to the Ephesians by not asking that they would pray that he would get free from prison. <laughs> In fact, what does, he, what does he say? He says that... Uh, He is an ambassador in chains, which is to say uh, he is asking for prayer, not that he'd be be delivered from his chains, but that he would represent God well in the midst of his chains. That's what an ambassador in chains is. It's somebody who represents God in the midst of their trial. And so he doesn't ask to be removed from the trial. He's asking uh, for the Holy Spirit-given ability to represent God, to be his ambassador in chains. Paul's prayer requests are perhaps most notable for what they don't contain. Uh, Most of them are prayers for the gospel to be heard, wisdom to speak the gospel message clearly, no fear in sharing the gospel in the midst of hostile circumstances. He asks for prayer for the spread of the gospel, for the reception of the gospel. Uh, But very rarely does he pray for things like we might normally pray for. Uh, We know from uh, studying all of his letters together that Paul had an unspecified medical ailment that plagued him throughout his time of ministry. And uh, he 
the only thing he asks is that these things wouldn't be an impediment to what's most important. But I do want us to see this. Um, although his prayer requests are very different, in some ways his heart is similar to many of the prayer requests that we do hear quite often. In a certain sense, freedom is what Paul is longing for, but not freedom from confinement. He wants freedom to preach the gospel. Not that his wrists would be unchained, but that he might loose others from the chains of sin and death. Not that he might be set free, but that the gospel would spread freely and free many. And against such selfless prayers, focused on God's glory, And being a blessing and a help to others, the principalities and powers are helpless. That is why I say that uh, prayer is warfare. When it comes to spiritual warfare, some Christians are uh, really, I think, just so blind to the dangers that come with spiritual indifference and apathy. Or they're so filled with a foolish self-confidence that they think they can get by on their own just fine without God, without calling on His strength in prayer. Others are so timid, or they have such a poor understanding of their calling in Christ, that they think they have no part to play in the spiritual conflict going on in the unseen realm. They act as though they are passive spectators or bystanders, when they should be active participants through prayer. The first point of view puts too much emphasis on man's strength and abilities, which are really puny. (laughs) Nobody's rugged enough to do that. But the other point of view puts too little emphasis on man's responsibility and the part we are called to play in the conflict. And a more balanced view is called for, and Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, strikes that balance perfectly Uh, throughout the armor of God passage, but here at the end specifically. Because he concludes with a request for his friends in Ephesus to pray for him that he would be given words to proclaim the gospel and courage to say them. Here we see the perfect mix of a miraculous divine power being needed and necessary, but it's also also being married to ordinary human faithfulness. Paul marries these two truths together throughout this passage. On the one hand, proclaiming that the Lord is the divine and miraculous source of our strength, our sustainer, and the supplier of all that we need in the battle. On the other hand, though, he simultaneously commands us to put that armor on. And now, as we read in verses 18 through 20, to pray also. So Paul here does that thing which really symbolizes and, and, uh, and marks the church everywhere it's lived out authentically, where the, the church is this, this mingling of miraculous divine power and ordinary human faithfulness. Pray that I would be given the words and the courage to say them. Pray to God to give the power, the capacity, everything that is supernaturally needed, and then I will go and say those words in his strength, in his power that he provides. God is strong and he is mighty, and that is why we pray. It is calling upon something more powerful than us. Prayer is belief in a powerful God, which finds expression in the human action of prayer. And as Christians, you know, I very often I'll hear this phrase that we believe in the power of prayer. 
And to me, that's close, but not quite true to what Christians believe. As Christians, we don't really believe in the power of prayer so much as we believe in praying to a God who is powerful. Prayer has no power if you direct it to an object that's not worthy of receiving that prayer. The emphasis is never on what we do, but rather who we do it through and who we are calling upon when we pray. The power is the Lord's, and without the strength of His might, our prayers would be just whimpering. I was thinking about this last summer, well, I was thinking about this this week, but last summer I, was, uh, I took Tilly out for a walk at the tar farm, and we got out to the tar farm very early in the morning. I want to say it was even before 5 a.m., and as we uh, rattled down a, a tractor path along one of the fields out there at the tar farm, the tars are kind enough to let me walk my dog out there, and uh, we surprised a bear. A bear came across the, the tractor path there, came out of the field and crossed the road and went off into the woods. And I got the dog out after the bear was safely into the woods. And with horror, I turned around and a bear cub followed the bear, followed out of the grass into the middle of the road behind where we had parked. And the dog took off after the bear cub. <laughs> and the bear cub went up a tree, and it made a little bit of noise. Not a lot, but it was making some noise. And the bear cub did not frighten me, uh, but the squalling of the bear cub did. <laughs> and the reason why was because, although I didn't fear the bear cub, I feared Mama Bear. And the squalling of the bear cub was a calling upon the might of the Mama Bear. And it's true that we as Christians can't go toe-to-toe with beings as powerful as fallen angels in our own strength. Nobody's rugged enough for that. You and I are at best bear cubs. But when we pray, we call upon one who is mightier than us. And the enemies in the unseen realm, they don't fear us, but they fear our squalling in prayer. When we act in the strength and the power that God has made available to us through Christ, it's then that we're able to stand against the enemy. And more than just stand through prayer, we can bind Satan up and rob him of his possessions. That's the goal of our prayers as they relate to spiritual warfare, to render Satan helpless. Samuel Chadwick, a pastor and author, once wrote, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless Bible studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. And why does he tremble when we pray? Well, it's the squalling of a cub calling out to its, their father. And he fears God, doesn't fear us. And prayer is a calling upon God. This is why Paul concludes the armor of God passage, which from beginning to end is about the, the, what we must put on to be effective in spiritual warfare. He concludes that by telling us to pray and asking the Ephesians to pray for him. Satan, does, again, does not fear us. He fears our God. 
Because the God he fears moves in response to the prayers of his people, Satan also fears our prayers. Prayer clothes even the smallest Christian, even children, with all the power of God. And Satan's strategy is to keep us from praying. In Matthew 12, 29, Jesus compares Satan to a strong man who is guarding his possessions, which are symbolic of people who remain under his sway, enslaved to sin and death. And in that verse, Jesus says, Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What does it mean to bind the strong man if not to call on the conquering power of Jesus who came into the world for the expressed purpose of destroying the devil's works? So the first thing we see about Paul's prayer request is that prayer is calling upon one who is stronger than him. It's warfare. Prayer has to be brought to bear against the things that oppose the church and God's activity in the world. Because prayer is the fulcrum on which the battle turns, we have to be willing to pray for one another and also to ask others to pray for us. Paul again asks that words would be given him to proclaim the gospel and that he would also be given courage to say them. And by taking up this prayer request, the church in Ephesus was um, engaging in warfare against the forces in the unseen realm. And right now, there are many things uh, going on in the lives of our brothers and sisters where they need prayer. And by praying for them in that matter, we are uh, helping them. We're taking up their cause. I'm reminded of uh, the story in, I think it's Exodus 17. Do you remember where uh, Joshua is fighting the Amalekites and Moses is up on the hill? And as long as his hands are raised, the battle goes in the favor of the Israelites. But when his hands begin to, to drop because he's tired, that the battle turns against them. And so uh, Aaron and another come along either side of him and hold his hands up. And that is such a picture here of what Paul is asking the church in Ephesus to do for him. He's saying, I need you to support me in the work that I'm engaged in. I need you to hold me up in prayer so that, uh, so that the, the battle will go in, in God's direction. This is a mysterious thing. Uh, here we're touching upon one of the great mysteries of the Bible, which is why God has chosen to operate in this way. I don't want to give the impression at any point that men are somehow necessary, that God needs us to pray in order to be effective and strong. Of course, that's not true. That would have a very small view of who our God is. But we do need to be aware of how God has chosen to operate in the world that he has made. And for reasons that are mysterious, it glorifies him most and pleases him most to move in response to the prayers of his people. More than wanting to be a blessing to the world, he wants to do that in response to our prayers. And so he has ordained, and it glorifies him most, to move in in response to the prayers of the faithful. 
So again, prayer is the fulcrum on which the battle turns. Another thing I want us to see here about Paul's prayer requests as we move on from the idea of of requests as uh, a necessary support in the work of, uh, in the warfare that Paul is engaged with and that we're all engaged with, frankly, is that the offering of both prayer and prayer requests is an expression of Paul's need for God. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us multiple encouragements to pray. In verse 7 of chapter 7, for example, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, think about this for a moment. (laughs) Jesus commands us to ask, seek, and knock. Uh, This is the God who created the world telling us to ask him for things. And when we read all that the Bible says about prayer, we see that he doesn't just allow us to ask him for things. You know, like if we find ourselves in a really tight bind, you can pray. It's not like that with God. It actually delights him when we ask him for things. In Proverbs 15, 18, it says, The prayer of the upright is his delight. He's so eager to hear prayers and respond to them. That he says in Isaiah 65, 24, it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. In fact, he takes special steps to see to it that he is constantly presented with requests from his people. In Isaiah 62, verses 6 through 7, we read, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So God God loves being asked for things so much that he appoints people to, quote, give him no rest, end quote, but to remind the Lord and never keep silent. And why is that? Why is it that God delights when we ask good things from him? Why is it in God's, what is it in God's character or his nature that lies behind this amazing fact? Well, in Romans eleven thirty five 35 through 36, Paul, again, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Who has given a gift to him, that's God, that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. God is always the giver. He can't be anything but. Notice the last line of, the, of that verse, to him be glory forever. It's more glorious to be the giver. And God has no need for anything. He's not the least bit needy. There's nothing he can't do. He can never be improved, for he's perfect. He can never be given anything because he has no needs. He can't be informed of anything because he's all-knowing. He wants for nothing. And we are the opposite. And here's the key. Here's the most important thing to see about this dynamic. We're the opposite by design. In fact, as it relates to God, we are complete and utter dependents who are encouraged to continually call upon God's vast, awesome resources for the things we need that he might be glorified in our dependence on him and glorified in the way that we revel in his 
supernatural divine provision. So God calls us repeatedly throughout Scripture to lay our requests before Him because He wants us to recognize Him as gloriously all-sufficient. And he wants, us to be, he wants to be revealed through us as a faithful and generous and caring God. When we bring our requests to God, rather than being uh, just hand-wringing or trying to find a relief from other quarters, it reveals who God is to us. This is why Paul, a seemingly fearless missionary, asks that he would for prayer that he would be courageous. This is why the golden-tongued author of much of our New Testament asked the Ephesians to pray that he would be given words. All of Paul's various prayer requests are a pure expression of his need for God. And the question that comes to mind is, what would it say about somebody who never voiced a prayer request? Somebody who never asked God's people to pray for him or her. If Paul had been only someone who prayed for others, but never asked to be prayed for, it would betray, I think, a prideful heart of self-sufficiency. It would betray that he did not really understand who God was or who he was in relationship to God. But he's not just somebody who calls upon God on others' behalf. He also humbly recognizes his own weakness, his own status as a complete and utter dependent. He needs God for everything. In the, you might remember in John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. That's very much the spirit of this prayer request, of the prayer request that we see Paul asking in, in his letters. This is a man who believes that apart from Christ, he can't do anything, nothing of eternal worth. God wants his glory to be displayed through his church. He wants us to bring requests before him that plead for more of him in our lives, in this church and in this community, more of God. And that begs, and we also request that beg for the advance of the gospel. And because he wants to display his glory through us, he wants us to bring God-sized requests before him so that he might demonstrate his love and power and sufficiency. He doesn't just permit us to do these things. They are, again, his delight. Because when we do make these kinds of requests, it shows, it reveals an understanding of who God is to us and who we are in relationship to him. We are engaging in one of the purest forms of worship when we bring our requests before the Lord. And we are robbing ourselves of joy and God of his praise when we do not ask others to pray for us. Uh, prayer, I think, is really about as central to the meaning of the created universe as you can get. Have you ever heard somebody ask the old philosophical question, what is the meaning of life? Uh, Christians actually have a ready answer for that question. According to such passages as Isaiah 43, 7, we were created for God's glory, that who he is might be put on display through us, and that we might live in relationship with him in a spirit of worshipful dependence on him. 
This means that he created the universe so that human beings, created in his image, would look to him to satisfy all of their wants, needs, and desires. In this we find our highest purpose and deepest joy. And what do we call this looking to God? Well, we call it prayer. So the offering of both his prayers and his prayer requests are an expression of Paul's continuing need and dependence on God. But don't miss this fact either, that Paul doesn't just make requests to God, he asks other believers to pray for him. Uh, This is really also a, a, a very important thing to notice about Paul's prayer requests. Somebody might say, well, Josh, I'm with you all the way here. I think I need God. But why do I have to involve other people in the praying of these prayer requests? (laughs) And really what this is is a belief in, in the corporate power of God's people. That for whatever reason, God has created us to live within community. And if we're going to take the notion of the body of Christ very seriously, like it talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 or other passages, then we need to see here that Paul wasn't content to just have uh, a one-on-one relationship with God. He, he, by the Holy Spirit, was given this deep hungering to share his burdens among God's people. And that's an important thing to see here. Uh, Many of us are very private people. We don't like the idea of presenting prayer requests to others. And really what that is is a discomfort with what God has called the church to be, which is a place where our, our needs are met according to the strengths of others and where our strengths are used as a blessing and a help to others who need them. Uh, The church is a place where our feet are washed and where we washed others' feet, where burdens are shared. And Paul uh, shares his prayer request with other believers, believing that there is power in the sharing of that. When other believers come to the throne on his behalf, that there's power in that activity. And uh, this brings us to our third observation. The first one is that Paul viewed prayer as warfare. Second, it was really an expression, both his prayers and his requests for prayer, are an expression of his deep need for God. And third, Paul knew that when we pray for somebody, we join them in in what's going on. Uh, I had a friend in Florida years ago. He was going through a very difficult time in his family. And he needed to go talk to his estranged daughter. He had sinned against his daughter. And he feared that he had marred her image of God by proving a hypocrite in her eyes. He had to go have a very difficult conversation with this woman. But the Holy Spirit had made him so uncomfortable uh, about the need to go have this conversation that he just couldn't stop saying no to God anymore. And so finally he decided he was going to do the brave thing and go talk to his daughter, confess his sin, ask for her forgiveness, talk about the anguish in his soul over his hypocrisy, and point her ultimately to his hope in Jesus, who alone is perfect. That he had pinned his hopes on Jesus' dying for the sins he'd committed and not on being saved by being a good man. He had really thought out a lot about what he wanted to say to his daughter. 
But before he went and talked to her, he called her and set up a date to meet and talk. But he asked me if I would fast and pray for him for a span of days before he went and did that. And I did, and he asked others to do that also with him. And this is very much an invitation to join with him in this ministry to his estranged daughter who was wandering from the Lord. And he feared he had in some way participated in her wandering by um, living a, a life, a compromised life in front of her, by not being a very faithful Jesus follower as her dad. And so in this ministry to his daughter, he asked us to come alongside and join with him in, in a ministry of prayer. Now, he was the only one who sat down with his daughter. He was the only one who talked to her in that moment. It was all him in the moment of actual conversation with her. But he believed, and I believed, and those who partnered with him believed that by joining with him in prayer and fasting leading up to and throughout that conversation, that we were really and truly partnering with him in what he was doing. It's much like, um, I suppose, again, going back to the analogy of prayer as warfare, that for every uh, soldier who's actually in a a forward battle situation, that there are many other people who helped that person get there, from factory workers who built the gun and the bullets and the uniform, and the people who flew the airplane or or piloted the boat to bring them to that far-off battlefield, to the people who cooked the meals, and all of the stuff that goes into supporting that, that forward person. Uh, there is a powerful need for a ministry of prayer, a very humble ministry of prayer that is a, a, a willingness to come alongside people in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of their efforts to share the faith, in the midst of their need, in the midst of their unemployment, in the midst of their addiction, in the midst of their broken family dynamics, in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of their illness. There is a need to come alongside them and join with them, partner with them in the midst of that struggle through prayer. And that's something we see in these prayer requests of Paul. He says, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Join me, partner with me. You're out here with me if you are on your knees in prayer for me on my behalf. And just right now in our church, there are so many who are going through stuff. And I think it's just so important that we understand ourselves as people who are striving together through prayer. Remember Esther's command that the Jews fasted for three days before she went to speak with the king. It's been a long time ago now we studied through the book of Esther, but you might remember that, that before she went and spoke to the king, she instructed her uncle Mordecai to tell the Jews in the citadel to fast for three days uh, before she would go in and speak to the king. Paul sets up this prayer request in... uh, uh, through, through one of his prayer requests with just the strongest possible appeals. He says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, 
there in Romans 15, again, he just uh, sets this request up with the strongest possible appeal. This request that they would strive together with him. He says he's making this appeal by our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit. So he bases this on their shared identity in Christ, their shared communion with the Holy Spirit, their shared values in Christ, namely love. He's banking everything on the hope that they care for him and about what he is doing. And when we pray for other believers, we throw off apathy and we strive with them in God's work or what God is working in their life. The last thing I want us to see, and I'll close with this thought, and I kept seeing this over and over and over again in his prayer requests. Paul usually would close these letters by, praying, or by asking for prayer that he would be able to see those whom he was separated from again. In Romans 1, Paul writes that a regular feature of his prayers is that somehow by God's will, he may now at last succeed in coming to them. Paul wrote in Romans 15, 31 through 32, Pray that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. <laughs> Those of us who just uh, can't wait for this pandemic to be over and to see our church family again in person, to be together for worship and for church life, understand this idea that Paul is expressing about desiring to be, desiring to be refreshed with joy in being together with his uh, brothers and sisters in Rome. He also asked in Philemon 22 for Philemon to prepare a guest room for him just in case their prayers were answered and he was able to come see them again. And because Paul made this so often a feature of his prayers, that he would be a, God would allow him to come and be together with those with whom he was separated from. He makes this prayer so often, I feel confident in praying this prayer also. And I want to close out our time together this morning by just calling upon God for this very thing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are sovereign God and we trust you. We, uh, you know our heart's desire is to be together. But God, if you have purposes that make it better for us to remain apart for longer, we submit to that with joy, knowing that your, your will is better than anything we would design. But God, we do come before you and confess our heart's desire to be joined back together again. Father, we would be so refreshed in one another's presence to share the times of fellowship and worship together again as we did before. But Father, we also pray the same things that pray, Paul pray, prayed. We pray for the gospel's advance. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to represent you well in this time of pandemic. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us courage you would give us words. I pray that you would uh, make people receptive to the gospel as we go out there as evangelists. Father, we pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to partner with one another in the work we are doing or in the work you are doing in our lives. 
And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us the humility to share our requests with one another. Father, in all of it, we are expressing our deep need for you. All of our prayer is like the squalling of a cub calling on a God who is much stronger to come and help. Come and save us, deliver us, provide the needed power, the breakthrough. Father, we need you. And in this moment of prayer and in all of our prayer requests that we offer to our brothers and sisters in Christ to come before you and lift up on our behalf, in all of it, God, we are expressing that we need you. You are what's needed. So, Father, please receive this offering, this time of prayer, and God, I pray that you would multiply it in the hearts of your people. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart to pray for those things that are closest to your heart, not just to remove difficulties, but to represent you well in the midst of them, to help us see your purposes in the midst of these things. God, help us to understand what you're up to in the midst of this pandemic and give us insight into what we should do. Father, we really want to be with you in what you're doing. Make that plain to us by the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.